So, um, we're going to talk about two remarkably similar films today, um, though also completely different. Um, our most obvious pairing so far, in that these films have the same base premise on does someone catch a train or not, and it explores different ways their life could pan out. Um, in the first film, um, Kislovsky's Blind Chance, it displays it sequentially, one story at a time, and in the second film, um, How It's Sliding Doors, it feels really strange to like give this film to a director, because um, it's very much not a kind of like auteur film though i know that word is loaded in the way that um, blind chances but you know whatever um which in sudden doors we have uh, gwyneth paltrow's life i guess her character helen um dealt with at the same time so we go between one and the other and at some point she thankfully gets her hair cut which makes it easier to distinguish between two timelines which is very useful um albert had you seen either of these films before i have seen blind chance yeah it's, yes. it's one of my favorite films and i've seen it quite a few times now Yes. Um, there's just quite a lot to dissect in there, so I think it, it's it's really one of those that you've got to rewatch. Yeah, it it is to <laughs> foreshadow and spoil opinions later. And Blind Chance is an absolute masterpiece, um, absolutely wonderful film. So it came out in in the eighties, to be exact, nineteen eighty seven. And Sliding Doors comes out eleven years later. Just to be clear as well, um, Blind Chance was shot late seventies, early eighties, but it was released True. in eighty seven because of censorship. And there's yeah, still so it completed the, um, in eighty one, I believe. Yes, exactly. So, and there's still the marks of censorship in the actual film because there's missing footage, which is really interesting. Yeah, there's one bit of presumed police brutality, um, which exactly. is kind of like given a. I don't have you, have you seen Metropolis? Yes. Um, the Fritz Lang movie Metropolis, um, which I think has maybe been fully restored at this point, but when I watched it back in the day, it had not been. And there's like a, an entire like twenty minute chunk missing, and there are these title cards that come up to explain what they think happened in that period. And this kind of does a similar thing of being like, this scene is missing. Um, here's why it's missing. Exactly. And here's me to know. And yeah. bam. So that's fascinating. Um, do you want to give a bit of like um, information about why this was censored and um, banned for a period? I mean, let's not be around the bush. It's a fundamentally. Yeah pessimistic film about communism it's not exactly uh, and even even the, the specific um form of um the like the polish regime to be to be as specific as possible yeah and in the film the regime itself isn't particularly optimistic about the the, the you know survivability of communism so i think you know there's a yeah definitely not a pro-party film yeah, yeah, I, I, I would be kind of like for like linguistic clarity, being like this is a film about an authoritarian regime that it is very much against, um, broadly against, and I think that's the language to carry forward. It does not like the establishment in Poland at the time, and therefore the Polish establishment was not a fan of the movie, um, which is unsurprising. Um, and also, weirdly, what was sorry? Um, weirdly, not the same reaction in Britain to Sliding Doors. You know, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> Not as much of a political catalyst, I would say, Sliding Doors. No, no. Um, Especially given what was... Say. <laughs> yeah, well, I was just going to add, also the context around the time that the film was shot was just the beginning of Solidarity in Poland, which is the big mm. anti-establishment trade union movement. So, and, yeah. and, and also you had martial law declared around the time. Yes. So it's a very interesting time to be making a film in Poland. Which I think is really interesting, because I don't know if you'd agree with me here, but I would say Blind Chance is less a political film and more a philosophical film. Definitely it doesn't 100%. really get in the ins, ins and outs of politics. It views it as a background. And I think for me it's because it has a a protagonist, which I think this is a key point of the film, who is not political. Um, and that's one of the kind of statements the film makes for me. It's this idea about how you have to... 
it's about choice and it's this idea that you have to make choices about some things otherwise choice will be made for you and this is this like unpoliticized person living a very politicized world and not wanting to conform in that way which is a fascinating catalyst for a film You've literally hit the nail on the head of the whole of Kislovsky's career. No, this is what he said himself, which is he is Mm. less interested in big sort of forces and systems and social historical events and more around what happens to the interior life of individuals as they go through those Mm. events. And it's one of the reasons why he transitioned from being a documentary filmmaker in Poland to being a feature filmmaker with with fiction as the kind of, you know, overarching thing. Um, So this is going to be a nerd out for the both of us because um, we are, I mean, me, thanks to to you, Albert, because you um, turned me on to him, are huge Kozlowski fans. Absolutely huge. Um, So so, should everyone be, though. I mean, you know, I I, I agree. He is, (laughs) this sounds like a weird statement, but, you know, the greatest Polish filmmaker of all time. Um, But, you know, I mean, one of the greatest filmmakers of all time um, by an easy margin. Um, if we're going to recommend a Kozlowski film or give a bit of background, um, what are you recommending to the kind of uninitiated? Because he's, you know, I can imagine among listeners, many have not seen a Kozlowski film or want to know where to start. What would you say? Do you know what? I've got a quote written down here from Martin Scorsese. Um, created a <laughs> Who little restored com- this movie? He's he did. The and it's film part of... Came out. Very much so. And the reason for that is he was making a collection of 21 Polish films. Yes. Um, sort of essential Polish films. And he did an interview as part of that sort of release. Um, weirdly, I'm really shocked by this, but the, the one that he recommended as the sole essential viewing is Blind Chance. And I would have thought he would have given that to, to something else, you know, some big films in, in that collection. Mm. So it was just really surprising that he, he chose this one. So I'm actually going to sort of do a bit of a cop-out and, and say Martin Scorsese recommended this film. So <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I like Martin Scorsese. Um, yeah. I like him more than the pretty... filmmaker, weirdly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, but, you know, he's got a good, good taste in film. Let's he does, he that. does. I mean, I think we've mentioned this before. Um, but yeah, I, I go hot and cold on Scorsese's work. Some of it is exceptional. But him as a film historian, as a, like such an important figure to the medium and the art form, is just like almost unparalleled. Um, yeah. The, the, what, sorry. what are your other top-tier Kislovskis? Um, do you know what? I watched something to, uh, yesterday, which I actually mm-hmm. think was really, really... Um, should be seen much more often um you would love this film um because it's less it's really just about one guy who gets uh like an amateur film camera oh you mean camera buff one of my favorite kozlowski movies i do mean camera buff what a fantastic movie so that's the other big one um Mm. i you have to mention decalogue and i guess the three colors Mm um do watch that they are they are incredible um, and I think the one that really stands out for me still is a film about killing. It's just yeah. so viscerally. So it's like a really instrumental film in ending the death penalty in Poland. Yes. Um, and I'm yeah, not th- this, is, this is how big of a deal Kislovsky is. So yeah, yeah. The, a, a short film about killing, which is a an expanded version of the Decalogue. So to give a bit of context, because we're nerding out a bit here. So the Decalogue is a... It's it's a it's a TV series really. It's a made for TV movie um, that he made for Polish television at the yeah. time, and it's in ten chapters, each loosely loosely inspired by a commandment. But it uses that as kind of like a framework to explore kind of like moral and sociological issues. Um, and one of the chapters, obviously, "Thou Shall Not Kill," um, was expanded into a film, um, an eighty-minute film, um, a short film about killing, which is this 
unbelievably dour and depressing and kind of assaulting um, film about the death penalty. And I still to this day say it's the most powerful argument against the death penalty I've ever seen. Yeah. And I'm someone's deeply against the death penalty, as I would guess most of the listeners are. And this is so good because I feel that most arguments against the death penalty fall to that trap of being like... Of talking about, oh, but you never know, like, you don't know about things, as opposed to, no, the thing is just bad. And why this is so strong is it shows the worst kind of crime in the most unrelenting way and then still shows that the death penalty is the worst and most unrelenting crime. So it doesn't dilutes itself in that way it's it's amazing and as you said it was released a short time before um the death penalty was outlawed in poland and it is seen anecdotally at least as far as i know as being one of the reasons and influence behind that decision very much so yeah i mean it's it's exactly what you mentioned which is it's such an odd experience because you see an absolutely horrific murder uh, and you think there's no way i'm gonna have any sympathy for the murderer whatsoever until you get to the scene where um, the, um, the 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 rope. What, what would this be called? The gallows um, are, are revealed, yeah. right? Um, yeah. And it's just chilling. Like it's just genuinely, it's the most visceral experience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, so, it's brilliant because it shows you two absolutely brutal murders, and because the first yeah. one is brutal, the second one is brutal. And because you hate the first one, you hate the second one. It's such a, a succinct and clear political argument that does not feel like a political argument which I've said this so many times to you but for me the um, Kislovsky's greatest strength for a filmmaker and he has many strengths is that he makes almost every time films that feel completely naturalist and completely of a society but function as allegorical at the same time in a way that doesn't seem to cut from either side they feel like these fully functioning allegories for these great philosophical films themes sorry then also feel like very natural cinema and it evokes both at the same time and i don't know how he does it and he does it every time i cannot think of another filmmaker that does that as well everyone else it kind of feels like a bit too much one way or the other way but yeah, yeah. Kostlovsky, what a dude and, and what's weird about what you just said is that he's kind of i think at the time um in the kind of social cultural context he was in he was actually seen as a bit of a political prevaricator like he he, mm. he he it was amongst the dissidents he wasn't seen as someone that was particularly having like a a, a very strong voice but you know, against communism or against mm. whatever political stance um his focus was purely on oh what does this do to you know character to character x in, in, in this scenario and the fact that there is still something very political and very kind of socially engaged to say about that is just yeah it's very interesting because because he evokes so well through verisimilitude and he evokes so well through character of these are such these fleshed out locations these fleshed out people and these really interesting narratives that kind of like just inherently evoke so much because they are so so precise also just a brilliant filmmaker and I mean, it's worth mentioning that he works with brilliant composers all the time, and yep. the music is so core to the experience of these films. Um, to the ex- I mean, have you seen the, the Double Life of Veronique? Yeah. Which is like, that film, without its music, is like half the film. Um, weirdly, I think it's credited to a fictional composer, who then would be the fictional composer in Three Colors Blue. So yeah, that's our Kislovsky minute. We'll stop now. So um, just on that point, so there's a, there's a tie-in between most of his films, because mm. in the Three Colors... Sorry to spoil uh, Blind Chance, but it's spoil in literally the first scene of the film. 
probably my favorite film which gets spoiled in the first scene of the film anyway um so yeah so the, the in every colors the plane that they uh almost catch uh is the, is the plane that blows up in in blind chance and there's all oh, what? Weird little, did you not know that no there's all these weird little tie-ins and there's characters that reappear man in you want to talk about the marvel cinematic universe i'm gonna talk about the kislovsky cinematic <laughs> right, universe. there we go there we go yeah <laughs> the kcu so sure yeah yeah, I did not know that. I've, I've not. I've, I've watched the three colors, obviously, but I, I watched them quite a deal before this, and did not make that connection. That is amazing. Yeah, there's also characters that reappear, um, mm. so watch mm. out for those little like. Oh, but it's basically <laughs> yes. Go ahead. Uh, it was like, and he uses the same actors a lot as well, but that was a, a somewhat redundant point. Anyway, sorry. I was just going to say the reason why he uh, makes themes and characters and events reappear is this whole thing about fate and how things yeah. are sort of interconnected and and yeah yeah so that it, there is a reason it's not just like a weird little easter egg it's it's part of his kind of cinematic language so this film which somewhat um appropriately sends out a ripple for a cinema it's it's one of those things of it's just a great premise like what a great idea of how different could your life be based on one simple thing it's that butterfly effect idea of you change one little thing and your life goes blah 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 and blah and you could be a different person in a you know beautiful house beautiful wife etc to quote david burn um but this appears again 11 years later in a very mainstream film a very popular film um in terms of audiences not critically admittedly but okay critically um which is sliding doors um, which you had not seen before and i had seen before um and my memory was this film is fine um, what did you think of Sliding Doors? Um, so can we talk about Peter Howitt before we get into the film? Yes, okay. I feel like yeah, he needs we, an introduction. We, we nerded he's, out on Kislovsky. Yeah. Let's nerd out on Peter Howitt. He just had such a weird career. Sliding Doors, Johnny English, yep. and a That's few other movie. weird ones. And then like this really bizarre but incredibly um, prescient film, Antitrust, which is about a sort of, I guess, like a like a guy who joins i think it's a tech big tech company i know nothing seemingly which seemingly just has like an insane amount of power and it's about their abuse of power and information and how the like the government needs to break up big tech and i just thought i was reading something the other day on the bbc on on that point i was like that's a really weird like prescient thing to do in 2001 yeah (laughs) yeah i just thought it's such a weird career like just like sliding doors and miramax like Gwyneth Paltrow film, Johnny English, mm-hmm. um, and then Antitrust, just like a very, very... Yeah, um, and he, he started out with In the Name of the Father, which is a... Um, oh, what's his name? Um, Daniel Day-Lewis um, vehicle. So mm-hmm. I bet Daniel Day-Lewis is good in it, and that is a, a film of repute that I have not seen. So yeah, Peter Howitt, um, surprisingly interesting filmmaker, um, who made Sliding Doors. So Albert, I, I think I know your opinion on this movie already, and I... I apologise for how insufferably pretentious this episode is going to be, um, but please give your opinion. Um, so, actually, I'm going to start with a caveat, which is I almost feel I felt very guilty for watching this film because I had to pay for it yes. on Amazon, right? So, okay, yeah, yeah. But yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it's it's a it's a '90s era Miramax. Yes. So there, there are two obvious caveats here, which are very, very important. One is, um, yeah, Miramax. So it's a Weinstein movie. A um, little bit problematic. So <laughs> yeah, more than a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And then you've also got Gwyneth Paltrow, known terrible human being. So um, that's also a problem. So you've got two very, I'm not going to say controversial, two horrible figures um, that this film is 
But I would say, okay, no, just, just, just to, to say I'm going to apologize just a little bit. No, I mean, no. Sorry, no, but my point was going to be hers was, was one of the first public accusations of Harvey Weinstein. Uh, okay, so fair enough. Okay. person that suffered at, like, at his, obviously there's many more, but I'm just saying that it's just, she's like a very well-known example. Okay, that, that, so that, that, that's You definitely know there was some shady shit that happened in the making of the film. Yeah, um, but then also there's, there's Goop, which we're not going to talk any more about, Gwyneth Paltrow, as also I true. I... nowadays um, awful and is, is really actually to blame for a lot of a lot of issues of a lot of like actual death of people at the moment um, giving out just lies as health advice that's um, deeply, deeply dangerous. So yeah, mm. she sucks. Um, so now I've got the guilt out of the way, the movie. <laughs> the movie. So I just thought... I mean, it was just a, yeah, just a little bit bland. Just it's thought, fine, you know, it's fine, it's totally it's, fine. It's kind of fine. There's a few wince-worthy moments. It's a 90s mm-hmm. era rom-com, so, you know, yep. a few gender, you know, things, issues. The one thing um, I will say, and I'm going to take this point from my partner, Emma, who I watch both films with, um, she was a teenage fan of Sliding Doors, which I can understand, actually. Sliding Doors, for me, fits into that kind of film. A film like Moon was, for me, the um, Duncan Jones film of... When you haven't seen that many movies and you mm-hmm. see a film that does something a bit differently, you're like, oh, there's a world of cinema out there. And I could see if you watched a lot of films like this, Sliding Doors being like, this is kind of interesting. And that being a jumping off point to like a wider cinema. And I want to I want to actually give it quite a lot of credit for that, of it having this elevated premise, which I don't think the film does a lot of very good thinking, but it opens up the possibility for a lot of thought around it because it nicks a premise from a great filmmaker. Um, so I want to give some credit where it's due there gender politics right yeah um a point that emma wants to make and i agree fully um blind chance um treats women very disposably and interchangeably um, which is an incredibly misogynistic film even though you know the boy the bad boyfriend is is kind of portrayed as a bit of a misogynist it's still like there's a lot of problems in this film um a lot of the monologues i was just like "Mm, okay there was this idea that in Blind Chance there is this idea that um, our protagonist always ends up with a woman and just like women kind of like slot in and slot out um, which is a problem in the Kislovsky movie I think um, you're right that's true actually that's yeah. Emma's point not mine so I will cite that so it, it is yeah. a film that treats women as interchangeable Sliding yeah. Doors however um, does have a focus on female agency from the very beginning mm. as Emma pointed out yeah. but even the inciting incident is about a young girl being moved away by her mother so it is two female figures involved in the fate of a third female figure. So it is female agency from the beginning. And a lot of the film is about one friend of a woman helping a woman to make decisions for herself in a life where she feels dictated by others. And even the third female character, the um, adulterous one, um, the, the one that is cheated on with, also asserts that agency quite a lot. And interestingly, the male characters see themselves as these victims of fate and chance in a way that female characters don't. So I think that kind of idea of that men can get away with feeling like they are victims of chance and fate, whereas women have to kind of like forge their own path and help each other is really interesting. So I want to give it some props to that, um, but a point borrowed from Emma. So I think that's an interesting point to mention going in. I think very true. Yeah, very, 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 uh, yeah. Apart from that, the movie's not very good. Um, what did Emma think of it on her more recent rewatch? 
I think, you know, it's like, um, what I want to say about this film, kind of from my point of view, um, more, because I don't want to um, speak for Emma too much because she's not here. Uh, she was going to be, but sad doesn't feel great. Um, it's, this film is not for us, Albert, at all. <laughs> it just isn't. And for the audience it's going for, I think it's like, it's it's a perfectly decent film for its audience. Okay. Um, and its audience just isn't us. And I think that's absolutely fine. And yeah. I think it speaks decently to them, to the audience it's speaking to. It's different. It's slightly elevated. And it is fine. And it's it has some regressive issues for sure, but it's not as kind of like heinous a lot of films at the time. That's true. Um, yeah. The one thing, it's very much in the shadow of Richard Curtis. It wants to be a Richard Curtis film so badly. That it, yeah, very good point. And the script, and I'm not a big Richard Curtis fan, but the script is just not... Richard Curtis is a funny um, writer. He writes funny films. He writes baggy, not very good movies sometimes, but they are funny. And this script is just not witty. The characters are not very good. Um, and weirdly, the premise of Blind Chance opens it up to such philosophy and thought i feel this film is really constrained by its premise mm. it's almost mechanical mm. i thought and like i also thought i really didn't like the way that it was intercut with yeah. the two the two the two scenarios because i just thought it doesn't give any one scenario like room to breathe it's just like oh just by the way the whole premise of this film is that there are two scenarios just reminding you of that just to make sure you're still like you know, on board with that premise. Whereas and it I becomes feel like... more and more incidental as it goes along. It becomes more exactly. and more like, well, this is, these are just two different films now. And like, my main takeaway is that really you just get two kind of like subpar romantic comedies for the price of one. That's what you're left with. There's kind of this dealing with like all fate at the beginning, and then it might as well just not be the case. Apart from some very on the nose moments of there's red in this room, so in this room must be red also. Oh, I picked up a phone, so we'll pick up a phone. Mm-hmm. The most bizarre moment that is like almost like existentially mind-blowing of it juxtaposes them watching a boat race to them walking past a boat race and she says something like i knew there'd be a boat race here i'm like what is going on in this movie it kind of flirts with the slightly magical realism thing yeah it really just doesn't use it at all it, I, yeah, I didn't know why that was there yeah exactly um, um my biggest problem with the film was, I think, was like codified at the end, where we've got this character who I really hate. Um, in fact, I hate all the characters in the film. To be fair, um, Good of Patrick's character is annoying. Um, her friend seems fine. Um, the boyfriend is obviously horrendous. Um, mm-hmm. He's supposed to be horrendous. That works. However, the love interest, um, John Hannah's character, so annoying. Um, the most annoying point, and I cannot believe this. There is an entire scene where instead of actually writing witty dialogue and jokes, they just have him perform a Monty Python sketch. Yeah, I thought that was really weak. Just and it's horrendous. Really bad writing. I'm like, um, leave this man now. <laughs> leave yes, this man. Exactly. And the people at the, at the table are like laughing. They're like, ha, 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 ha. I'm like, write a joke or a conversation. Jesus yeah. Christ. Um, but then in the film, right towards the end, there is this kind of like rug pull reveal that he has a wife um, and he hasn't spoken about it. And I just turned to Emma with this conversation about, like, the only reason he hasn't spoken about it is to keep the echoing motif going, because they have to have two reveals happen at the same time. It makes no sense to his character that he would not have spoken about this. And he could have spoken about it. There's no secret involved. It's very open. It's not even, like, a shameful secret, because he has a wife that is in hospital and he's in the process of divorcing her, and that's absolutely fine, whatever. And there's actually no salacious secret there at all. He would have mentioned it, but why doesn't he mention it? Oh, they have to have the narrative keep echoing throughout. And the the functionality of the, the narrative, the like, machine-like production, 
just cuts against it so much and like doesn't let it work i also really thought the main point about the bad boyfriend yeah kind of keeping them keeping two two people going at the same time i didn't understand why i didn't get what was like why didn't he just break off with one of them yeah it's not it's i just didn't feel like the film actually gave a reason for that it was just like they had to be there both at the same time and that's just yeah it, what you have to it is a lot accept. of that for me there needs to be two timelines where things interconnect and therefore though i still do want to give it credit because i feel like this is not a film for us and whatever i do do like that it's doing something different and it is balancing things and it's taking a a ambitious structure to a kind of like stereotypically unambitious genre to a a, an audience not used to being challenged narratively or structurally like the rom-com is so defined by by formula and by being formulaic and a shape of that formula is cool it's interesting Mm -hmm. Which brings me to a third film. Yes. So I watched Run Lola Run today as well, which is also from 1998, which is weird. Um, which, again, takes on this similar premise of a person is doing something and it could turn out three different ways. Um, it is not as connected. And it's really strange. You haven't seen this movie, have you? No. Um, yeah, so German movie. It's weird. It's not a great movie. But it so commits to being just stupid in a way that I really, really admire. It is the most MTV movie you'll ever see in your life. Um, it has this hardcore soundtrack all the way through. It like cuts to like animation at points. It is just like all pulsing, cameras moving. It kind of flirts with that kind of like live die repeat idea of she can kind of remember her previous things. I mention it only because I think it's just interesting that this this narrative of how could it change, how could it change keeps on coming up again and again and again. Which brings me back to my kind of like impetus question: Why is the Kislovsky film so good? You're right, and I think honestly, if you give anyone the premise of like this idea, oh, our lives could be really different if only just one small thing happened, it just seems kind of banal. So yeah. it's it's quite difficult to actually pull off something quite profound with, with just that point. Um, maybe it's that. Also, I think it's it's not it's not like ramming it down your throat like it's not really saying oh by the way this is three different avenues it lets yes. each one breathe each scenario uh play out until you're yeah. like oh hang on a second um yeah the, the, we're gonna go back to the train station now to try and see where Wittek would have gone in a, in a, in a different life well because the first thing that happens it's kind of a surprise like it doesn't posit itself as that film it is very much an incidental part. It is not like a core premise, whereas Sliding Doors is like, this is the premise the whole way through. So Run, Load, and Run is kind of similar in the fact that like, you get to a point then it rewinds, but that's kind of like a gotcha. I'll, I'll put it this way. The way that I feel about the Kislovsky film is that um, it puts the characters first, whereas the yes. other films put contingency first. You yeah, know I mean? they are, like, they're premise-led. Exactly. Yeah, so I just... Basically, it's not—it's not about the events. It's about the characters. It's not about like the big things going on around them. It's about what's happening to the characters as a, as a result of that. I feel like so maybe maybe that's kind of yeah. So I want to I want to get into some critique of Blind Chance because I, I think it's an absolute masterpiece. Um, but I want to I want to talk about some of like the bigger ideas in it. And I want to like quiz you on some things. Do you think it's a nihilistic film? No, and I think good. Well, actually, again, going off what the director said about it himself, um, the the way that people sort of tend to uh, class this film is it's it's a pessimistic humanist film, which yeah. 
which means that Kiyosaki acknowledges there are like deep problems with the societal structures and yeah. you know and the things that people have to go with. But ultimately, he chooses to engage. And I thought it was really interesting that the only scenario Wittek dies in is the third one, and it's the one where he doesn't engage with ideology at all. Yes. So first that, of all, that for me is so key to the film. Yeah. So first of all, Zizek would be very disappointed. <laughs> but on a more serious <laughs> serious point, uh, Kieslowski, um has been described, um, yeah, as as a, as a sort of humanist figure where um, he he sees there are problems, uh, but he feels like ultimately we need to take responsibility. So yeah, for me that is the crux of the film because we have three storylines. So that's one more than sliding doors already. It's on your face, sliding doors. Um, so one storyline he ends up by chance, and it's 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 kind of confusing the first time. You're like, does he know this dude? He just by chance just ends up um, befriending like a key kind of like communist figure, and gets his way into the party and becomes a part of the establishment and it ends in failure because he's not really committed at all he's very much he just lets life hit him and that's why it's so great this is just chance it's chance it's chance and that again is the title of the movie he is this completely passive figure what's brilliant and emma already pointed this this out to me is that the film the crux of it is that he changes his life's goal on a whim almost yeah. He spent his life wanting to be a doctor, and then one person tells him, maybe you shouldn't, his father, um, when he dies, before he dies, before he dies, and then he his life goes into flux. Because we have this character who just lets life happen to him. And for me, the idea of the film is you cannot live that way. You cannot let life happen to you. Life will happen to you, and that's why there are larger events that just happen the same way every time. But you have to take stances and make choices because his failures in scenario one and two are because people around him are assertive and are asserting themselves and because he cannot not assert himself he runs into spirals of failure and confusion yeah you're absolutely Wittek gets punished for his passivity that's yeah. the whole film basically it's awesome um, so he's a, he's a passive communist and then he's a passive anti-communist and yeah. because he is never ideologically linked to any of them he just lets it get him by he's punished for that and I also feel like it's weird because I think different characters have kind of there's a, there's a passivity and indifference in each of the characters mm. that he meets. So you've got the real like you know jaded cynicism of the party functionary yeah. that he meets on the train, who's been who was who a dissenter uh, and was jailed, uh, but fundamentally still kind of believes in communism, I guess. And then you've got his friend believes now, in the idea of it, certainly believes in what it could be. Exactly. And then you've got his friend who's like this polished party leader type figure who is, again, pretty much indifferent and basically admits that communism is going to fail. Um, so he's really indifferent about ideology, but is just a bit more sort of cynical about the whole thing yeah. and just realize, OK, here's an opportunity. Um, so, you know, this is what I can do. Um, whereas Wittek is is much more just, I don't know, he's just a, 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 a product of scenarios is going on around him so I read a critique of the film which is quite a famous critique I think it's from the AV club that um, it talked about how when they first saw the film they were blown away by it and on their second view they did not like it very much and they made a point that I, I just disagreed with I thought it was a philosophical misreading of the film mm-hmm. which they said that it posits this idea that humans are just clay that will just get shaped by the world around them and that they thought that this was like deeply unrealistic that adult men are not just because he said that they could just be a communist or not a communist or be a doctor and that was for them the crux of the film what do you think about that? 
So, sorry, could you just repeat what the what the statement was? So their idea is that it posits the idea that human beings are just clay that can be formed by the world around them. So a banal difference could make us go any completely opposed ideological trajectories. Right, so we're a product of our environment kind of thing. But so completely, that we are tabula rossa, John Locke, blank slates. Yeah, I think I think Kieslowski basically disagrees with that because there are things in both, in both, sorry, in, in all three scenarios which kind of stay the same. Like the general yeah. outline of his life basically stays the same. He meet, you know, he meets uh, a group of people which he falls into. Uh, so in the first case, it's the Communist Party, and the second one's a dissenter group, and the third, no, and the second one is it the, the Catholic. Yeah, the Catholic group. Yes, because that and becomes this recurring one, symbol. Is the, is the dissenting group exactly? So e- each one he finds like a group to be to, to be his in group, and he, yeah. he finds love in each one of them, and it does all seem kind of contingent, and, and they all end in failure in some way. Um, yes. So I think that what Kislowski is really saying is it's a bit of both. Like there's things that stay the same no matter what you end up where where you end up being basically. Which for me, the, the the problem with that read is it's a fundamental misunderstanding of character. Of the Vitek is not all human beings. He is not supposed to be um, an every. He is like every manish in his like sensibility, but he is not supposed to represent every man at all. And as we keep saying, he is very much a symbol of the passive way of living. Well, and it is about that. It's not about that any man can become anything. It's that he doesn't become these things. That's true. And I also think, actually, the type of choice he makes is always the same, which is it's always driven by empathy. Yeah. So he, in the first scenario, he is intrigued, at least, by what's going on around him with his girlfriend. Um, so, so she's kind of part of this Sam is that, which is like this self-publishing underground thing, Yeah. Uh, which is actually generally very, very cool. If anyone is interested... Um, Basically, in the Soviet Union, because, you know, strict party censorship, you had to go underground to publish anything. And there's, like, weird, um, not only literary publishing, but also, like, audio publishing. And the way they did it is they they tended to use old film from x-rays to create these vinyl records. Um, So you can find what are called bone records. (laughs) Because you literally literally see the x-ray on on the record. Um, And it's this, like, you know... That is cool. yeah, exactly. These like black market kind of artifacts. Anyway, so just a slight tangent there. But basically, um, yeah, so Wittek finds out about this group and he is sim- seemingly sympathetic and he thinks his boss is going to be sympathetic because yes. he assumes that everyone kind of has the same generally humanist outlook of like, oh, these guys aren't so bad, are they? Like, they seem kind of. Um, seem kind of fine and you had the whole conversation with me earlier that you think communism isn't really all that but actually he just gets that so wrong because later on uh, you see the secret police take away his girlfriend and um, yeah it's just there's so many moments of just like inaction that are so perfectly done of so many moments of hesitation which is great because like Sliding Doors or whatever is this film about like everything's a choice and your life could go differently in all these kind of ways and this film is very much about the points that we don't make choices and we let choices happen to us and one of the best and this is a recurring motif one of the best examples is the frequent hesitation of he just lets these people go from the he runs this great operation he actually frees some prisoners and he's about to jump and then just hesitates and decides not to and is then pulled back in and it's all these moments of he cannot commit to things he cannot quite do things and a film about choice that it does come back to the title blind chance that it comes back to letting chance happen to you is just so so special and brilliant to me so do you think that was because he couldn't commit like his failure to jump 
I thought it was I, because he didn't want to leave behind the people in the end. But isn't that a kind of isn't that a kind of like not? It's because he never commits any way or the other. Right, he, does so he, not, didn't he always is to torn. The, to the decisions. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's true. I guess. Yeah. He he, he leaves himself between. He is liminal the whole way through. Yeah, that's very um, true. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is. Which is why the train tracks are such a great metaphor for the entire film, which is why Sliding Doors is an issue for me, because why is it a train? Well, why not? My problem with Sliding Doors is that you feel like the film could have started at any point, because at any point, the decision made could make another Sliding Doors, and at the end it could have been 55 films. But this film is built around the central metaphor of a train track, of this thing that goes a certain way, and if you get on the train, you will get taken that way. And once you're on that train, you go to destination. That is a central metaphor that the film is built around. It has to be a train. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, that, that, that's that's very true. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I feel like your original point, which is everyone is like a product of the environment, I think, No. I yeah, no, it's not, not, <laughs> not my point. I was just saying, not my yeah, point yeah, at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. A, a borrowed take that I read and was just like, no, um, because the third story is the really important one because it's the one where his life seems to go well for so long, and it's because he actually he becomes assertive. He makes decisions. He follows the path he wants to take, and he acts well when he does things, which is so key. Then why does it end the way it does, then, Albert? Because the ending is very shocking. I yeah, so. There's two things I want to say about the ending. First of all, I think the spoiler is so great because you don't realise it's a spoiler at the at the start, right? Because you have no yeah. idea. It's like a just out of context scream, like a a, a monkeyan scream um, <laughs> that you just um, I just left with. That you're like, okay. Cool. Uh, oh, where's yeah. this going to go? Because the opening... Oh, God, so this was this was Emma's first Kislovsky movie, and I've been talking about Kislovsky for months oh, because I'm amazing. such a nerd. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, he's this really, like, lyrical, like, political filmmaker, um, very humanist. And this film just starts with, like, a incoherent, out-of-context montage of just violence and pain. I was like, this is not like any Kislovsky movie I've ever seen. Sure, it's sure. just like... I was just like, um, sorry? Sorry. <laughs> Well, it's too. What I'd say about it is, it's a great setup for the rest of the film because it's two seemingly completely disconnected scenes. One from yeah. the start of Wittek's life, and one from the end. Yes, and you don't. But know I would that say, so what cool. I would say is, what. So the reason that I really disagree with the point earlier is that I feel like it's the same Wittek throughout all three yeah. scenarios. Oh, you I just get agree. To, you just get to know him through a different lens or through a, from from a different point of view. Basically, he's, he's a deep literate doctor. He was always a doctor. Right, exactly. So it just keeps adding to our knowledge of Wittek, right? So and and, and yeah. so what's seemingly not connected at all at the start is actually completely completely makes sense. Like you literally like by the time you finish the film, you're like, yes, this makes so much sense. Um, so so why does it have to end so tragically when Wittek is? If we're saying the point of the film is that this man needed to to make decisions to actually commit to a way of life, and he does, so why is he punished at the end? Because this is a fictional film; fictional things happen. Why does we have this horrendously pessimistic ending of he gets in a plane and the plane explodes? I mean, so I also actually think that maybe our initial sort of answer for that question, which is. Wittek gets punished for being too passive, um, i.e. in the scenario where he doesn't take a, a moral stand uh, yeah. or against communism. I think that's actually too simplistic as well. Because okay. I think Kislovsky also acknowledges that there just are bigger forces at play, which yes. are basically not really able to be stopped, uh, whether it's communism or literally just a plane exploding. 
Yeah, so, I, I, I completely agree. This film is very much about there are, we have agency. It's one that, it, that does assert we have agency over our lives. We need to take it. We need to forge agency. But there are things that happen that will always be beyond our control, which is why there are these echoing elements. But I also think at a political level, I think he is asserting, if we see it as like this moralistic device, there are some issues you do have to get involved with and you cannot sit by and let happen. And for me, that is a political takeaway of, yes, he forges out a better life for himself in this, but he sets a better life for himself, and you realise these things are still happening, the underground is still being oppressed, the system is still wrong. You can't just be passive. You can't be passive in that way. You can't just let these things happen. That was my read, at least. Right, right, right. And I have a question for you, which is, do you think that Blind Chance has in any way, like a, not like a moral message or just like a sort of a takeaway um and do you think which scenario do you think Wittek is happiest in um i think he's happiest blowing up on a plane <laughs> really? before he blows up obviously well in, in his like just like incredibly yeah incredibly sort of um but then yeah. i guess it's when does the film end because like at that point maybe he's not that happy because of certain things because he's there because of death whatever i guess you could end the film in different places and there'll be different levels of happiness because True. his he has arcs and throughout the thing it's just that this arc gets completed um but it's just funny that he just can't leave poland he just cannot which is yeah, his exactly. own kind of metaphor no come on that is such a good metaphor for it's great it, it's, here at uh, poland yeah yeah for the reason there's nothing in, you can it's, do it's just brilliant yeah you just yeah, can't exactly. leave it's like you can actually he is invited to leave one one he's like escaping one he's fleeing blah whatever 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 this one invited all official absolutely fine bam no it's just like mm, no yeah yeah it's yeah. like a surrealist alan resnay movie it's like a last year at marion band it'd be like nope it's gonna repeat forever 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 mm-hmm. forever you cannot leave hotel california the illusion the illusion of, of of being able to leave yeah it's, it's really great um so this is one point on where i don't really quite understand what the kind of not moral but just like the takeaway yeah. of of sliding doors is because the okay. one that she is is it the angel of death well but i didn't get the ending I'm just going to put it out there. I really didn't understand. I have, a re- I have a reading on the ending, which is, this is my fan fiction of the ending. Right. Um, John Hannah's character is is the angel of death. Um, <laughs> so, for me... And she's going to die in that lift at the end. Yeah. That, for me, it's meant to that. It was a Final Destination moment. It was, uh, you cannot escape death. Because I'm like, if right. you meet this man, you're going to die. Because the yeah. last time you met him, you're going to die. So, I was supposed to actually leave the film being like, oh, that whole relationship is over but she's going to start it again with John Hannah. But in my mind, I was like, John Hannah's going to get her killed. But what was what was the message? Was it that you should stay with a really horrible situation until it sorts itself out? Like, I don't well, really... I think the problem is there isn't a message. It's not a, yeah. it's not a message film. It's just a... What a, what a great premise. It's, a, it's just a premise. It's a premise. It's not a... It's nothing else but that. Yeah, yeah. Because, um, yeah, you're right. It's... It, well, because... I'd seen the film before, but at the end I was like, wait a minute, I can't remember this. How do these timelines add up? How do we, do we just like split forever? Yeah, And the way it brings them back, I'm like, are they all dead now? Is that universe (laughs) still living? Are there infinite universes? This is deep. Yeah. And then it's just like, nah, in a lift, gonna die. You're supposed to leave talking about, wasn't that premise interesting? You're not supposed to leave talking about, what did it all mean? But no, but that's a really annoying, like, conflict there, because you kind of are supposed to talk of if it's a if the if the, if the setup is a bit philosophical you probably are gonna go, come away with those with those sort of thoughts right 
but this is what I it has no answer for them it's just like oh no this is just yeah it's but this is this is where people, people divulge, and I have this issue as an English teacher of my students want to write about plot level analysis as opposed to art analysis of the questions around this film treat the film as as reality. If you want to go, oh, does it work out there? And I have fundamentally no interest in that. I don't like treating like art as a continued fictional narrative. I like treating it as an object to evaluate in the world. And this one wants you to leave the cinema and just talk about, oh, do you reckon they get together? And I'm like, I don't believe in these characters. I don't care. Yeah. Whereas, blind chance you leave and you go, okay, what did that mean? What is this? What's this? What's that echoing? Blah, blah, blah. But you believe in the characters in the moment. Um, but you don't... I, I didn't leave the film being like, oh, I wonder what, like, Vitek's family feel about that. Like, that that means nothing to me. Right. Well, Whereas I mean- blind chance relies on that. Yeah, yeah, it's true, true. Um, yeah, so basically you're saying there's no deeper reading. That's there's like, no extra textual reading, it's purely <laughs> textual. Like, it wants you to be like, oh, I hope they worked out well, and I'm yeah. like, I don't care. Yeah, I don't yeah, like him, basically. he sucks, yeah. she's annoying. She's so bad, Gwyneth Paltrow, I'm glad she's a bad person. Her accent, she's bad what at is acting. going on? What is her going accent on is with... so annoying. Yeah. It's just clipped um, poshness, which is her voice, and then every now and then she tries a bit cockney, and yeah, 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 keep yeah. saying Britishisms. She exactly. Tea, exactly. wank, yeah. and shag, and I'm like, this yeah. sounds wrong in your mouth. <laughs> yeah. yeah, pretty much summed up my uh, my thoughts on that. <laughs> <laughs> That's that movie. Um, so yeah, um, Blind Chance, absolutely wonderful. Watch it. It's great because we have not spoiled that film at all because it is just there is just so much going on. There's lots mm. more like layers. Um, so some suspect gender politics, but a, but a great movie. Um, and then Sliding Doors. Um, productivity. Um, let's get Blind Chance out of the way. Give it a rating out of five, Albert. Um, yeah, I am going to give this one a five stars. It, it, it's just, yeah, it's one of my favorites. Um, yeah, it's one I can just keep rewatching. I'm not a rewatcher, generally. No, you're not. Um, but this one, it just, yeah, it feels like there's always something else to see uh, in it. It's I, I Martin agree. Scorsese it's tapestry. said, "You get three films for the price of one," and I just couldn't agree more. <laughs> Basically, so like, yeah. But you get you get a tr- it, it, but a trilogy like there are three interlinked, thematically dependent films for the price of one. Whereas I do think in blind in sorry in sliding doors, sorry, you do get two films for the price of one. And they are two different movies. They just don't work as self-contained things. I think. No. Yeah, one hundred percent. So I'm, I, I agree. It's a, it's a five-star film for me, um, alongside a few five-star Kislovskis, um, because I think he's just such a phenomenal filmmaker. So if you've not watched a Kislovsky film, start watching them. They are all interesting, and yeah. most of them are, are absolutely brilliant. Even my least favorite ones are great. There isn't well, one in, that you walk away with regret with basically you don't you're not like oh I really wish I hadn't watched that yeah you, you'll be glad to watch them all even the uninteresting kind of like ones comparatively sliding doors then give it get a right I feel bad about this because this is like this is not the kind of film we usually talk about true um, it's not and we're not the right audience it's, it's not a level playing field <laughs> let's not. just say um yeah I mean I don't know like have I ever given a one star you haven't yet. It, to me, it, it makes sense that you fair? would. Otherwise, you're saying it's as good as Diabolique. Are you saying that? Exactly. I am definitely not saying that. Yeah. Okay, well, there you go. But I just feel really bad. You know? But, yeah. Yeah, I guess it has to be one star. It just has to be. Um, so, I went in with my previous ranking in mind was that it was three, that it was absolutely, that it was fine. And I actually liked it last time I watched it, but that was 
about I, I actually I, I remember the context of why I watched it so this is actually somewhat embarrassing um, well actually it's not embarrassing it's just you know a little thing of my first date with Emma it's just she mentioned it off the cuff and because I was besotted I was like I must watch this movie <laughs> so I went home and watched it so it is always oh so in, right 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 it's been kind of it is tinted experience. in my mind with that yeah, yeah, of yeah. we were talking about film because like film is a big part of our relationship because yeah. um, we're both huge to film and it's just a film that she mentioned not even especially I just she mentioned it and I hadn't seen it and I was like I haven't seen that movie, so it I had to that watch association. Yeah. Divorced of that, the movie's not very good. I don't know. <laughs> like, um, it's, a, it's, it's two for me, but I feel bad, because it's, it's just not for me, and that's fine. But then yeah. it just has issues. It's not well-written, it's not well-acted. Um, it's shot really terribly. Yeah, 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 agreed. There's some weird continuity stuff of just, like, how you shoot a scene. So one key example, she... Actually, Emma made a brilliant point of... You live in London, so this will make more sense to you. So... Mm-hmm. The reason why she takes the train or doesn't take the train is the entire premise of the movie. Yes? Yes. It's such a forced premise, though, because what do you know about the London Underground, Albert? Um, If you miss a train... Just finish that for me, because I don't know where you're going with this. If you miss a train on the Underground, there's another one in two minutes' time. Oh, right. Yeah, they're very frequent. Awesome. But, but, but But the sliding doors thing, you're really not supposed to do that. Like I, I yeah, true, basically true. no one ever does that and in fact it really slows down the whole thing because it stops well, the train because you don't need to there's a train in two minutes yeah because there'll be another pointed one. out yeah. why did she run out to get a taxi wait fact, for the next train she's not even in a rush she's going exactly. nowhere she's just sadly going home but the film and that's but that's Emma nailed it that's the problem with the film the premise comes first ahead of everything and they need to have this premise happen and it doesn't make sense at the very beginning yeah so um, there you go if you're going to make a film about contrivance, don't make the contrivance the central thing. Yeah, you make, you make, the, you make the people that suffer yeah. at the, you know, at the at the, at the contrivances. Yeah, thing. So um, yeah. Anyway, yeah, two out two out of five. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, what are we? For what the are record, we going to watch? run run Lola run is three out of five for the record. Okay. Um, yeah, we will have the watch discussion off air because I've got a conversation I want to have, mm-hmm. and it's not for our listeners' ears. Um, just before we leave, just some quick plugs for me. As always, you can find my writings at assortedopinions.home.blog. I think it's that. I never know, and I should know. Um, reviews of new movies, some writings around them, etc., etc. Um, my other podcast, um, Nasty Pals, there was an episode recently, there'll be another one soon, um, a breakdown of the video Nasties, where you hear me talk about different movies, and follow either of us on Letterboxd, where yeah. um, I am prolific, because I watch my movies, and Albert watches interesting films. <laughs> I feel like you're getting a lot of traction on Letterboxd. I've seen a lot of likes thank you. on your thank reviews you, recently. You. I'm, so I'm playing the game, playing the game. Yeah, follow genuinely... Stephen is a very interesting follow. Oh, that's I'm a good follow. I mean, look at the movies yeah. I watched today. It's, I mean, for example, Sliding Doors is on there, um, and then there's also random Agnes Varda movies. Yeah. So, but much more besides that. Yeah. So, I, like today, it's been Run Little Run, Sliding Doors, an Agnes Varda short, and two Tarkovsky films. So there you go. You get the breath with Steven. You do, you do. I get, you know, I'm known for my breath. Um, so that'll be it for, for this time. Um, so follow Basmati on Letterboxd if you can find him, and follow Stephen Gillespie on Letterboxd if you can find me, and um, find us anywhere. And, you know, get in touch, tell us what you think, and we'll be back next time with more movies that we have or have not seen. Thanks for joining me, Albert. Okay. 
No. And um, I don't know when it's going to release, but you know what? Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Merry Christmas to everyone. Yeah, there you go. It probably, who knows when you can listen to this, but just know that the point, that was pertinent. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>